one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is the last laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and today I am so excited to welcome back on the show a hilarious comedian and author of the new book, The World Deserves My Children, which I embarrassed myself by repeatedly laughing out loud while reading over the past couple of weeks. Natasha Legero, thanks for joining me again. Did you feel as a man like I wasn't shitting on men too much in the book? Oh, no, not at all. Um... I mean, I have to tell you, I, I really related to this book very intensely. Um, my my 18-month-old daughter is uh, currently napping in the next room. So, you know, I, I have that experience. But yeah, as a as a as a man, I think it's just as a parent, um, it's very relatable. Um and uh yeah, I I just loved it. Um so yeah, um welcome back on the podcast. I'm so glad that we're getting to do this again. Um I think the last time we talked uh, was sort of beginning of the pandemic. You were hiding out in an RV in the middle of the woods somewhere. Um, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but <laughs> the early to mid pandemic years. Uh, so that that was fun, but I'm glad to see you're, you know, looks like you're back in a more uh, comfortable environment now. I'm back with my wallpaper. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I thought maybe to start, we could uh, just listen to a an excerpt from the book. Um, this is the beginning of the first chapter. Um, and then we can kind of talk about it afterwards. I've been trying to finish reading a magazine article for seven months, and it's not even from one of the smart magazines people in New York pretend to read on the subway. I've bought six books on my Kindle and have read 0% of all of them. Sorry, Michelle Obama. I've downloaded all 500 hours of TV that Ryan Murphy has made in the last six months, but I haven't watched any of it because I go to bed at 9.30. And I love highly stylized sass. So what's it like being a mother? My single childless 38-year-old male friend asked over coffee. I'd spent the previous 20 minutes droning on about the minutia of child rearing, but I guess he hadn't been listening. Can you read a book while watching your baby? No, not unless you want to fall off a cliff. I prefer to read on the bluffs above Malibu. You can't do shit. Your time no longer belongs to you. I tried to explain that Having a kid is loving something so intensely that you can't live without it, mixed with desperately wanting that something to take a nap so dangerously long that you have to go into its room to check if it's still breathing. Sounds like being a mom is hard, he said, in the type of understatement only available to child-free men of a certain age. But then he went a step further. Sounds like it really takes over your whole life. That thought panicked me. I don't want my whole life to be taken over. I didn't have a kid to get a new life. I had a kid to enrich the one I already had. I'm not just a mom. I've been a human adult for far longer than I've been a mother. What happened to that person? Thank you so much. I love that uh, that section because it is so true just about the, it, it captures the the worry that is a, a theme throughout the book um, and also just how much life changes. Um, do you feel like you were able to answer that question writing the book about who that what happened to that person who that person became well i think that at the be i did learn a lot from writing the book because you really do expand your mind and 
you know, they say it's almost like, right. Cause stand up is more about like punchlines and being really succinct and writing a book was a little bit more like an accordion and opening up like an idea and seeing where it leads you and musing on it and writing on it and meditating on it. So I really was able to come to terms with the fact that you don't have a child to stay the same. So even though I'm missing the pre-motherhood Natasha, I'm trying to also enjoy post-motherhood Natasha, who's totally different and capable of much more love and selflessness, but also much more fear. Yeah. Uh, you talk, you know, in the in the book about the sort of imbalance of parenthood, bet specifically between male and female comedians, not just men and women, because you and your husband are both comedians, of course. Um, and you talk about a, a guy you know who um, did a Conan spot 10 days after his kid was born um, and all of that. Did you, was there a point in your career where you really thought you had to choose between being a mother and being a, a stand up comic? Um, maybe like, like in the past week with all the press. I'm, doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Maybe I, cause I'm really having a hard time. It's really hard to keep up. And like, you know, the kids now in school Monday through Friday, but my husband's out of town most weekends recently. Mm -hmm. And then I'm alone with the kid all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday. And you know, you've got the way everything works with requests and press and everything I'm working on, you know, it's hard to take those two days off completely. Definitely. So yeah, I, I don't really know what the answer is. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, you and people like Ali Wong and Amy Schumer really helped blow up that stereotype, even very visibly by doing stand-up specials while pregnant, um, which I think sort of sent a message in itself. Um, was that something that you that you thought about in, when you you know were working through that time and, and deciding you know this is this is what I'm going to do? Well, the thing about stand up is like whatever's going on with you, that's kind of what your jokes are about. And so, like when you're pregnant and your body is expanding and you're going through all this hormonal stuff and you're about to become a mom, is like there's just so much going on inside that it actually is a good time for writing and thinking of jokes. And so, you know, that's kind of what led me to it because that's what I was thinking about. So of course that's what I'm going to write about. Um, but yeah, I think that having a, having a baby is, is definitely like the thing that has changed me the most. How do you think about the process of writing the book versus writing stand up? I mean, you mentioned that it's kind of, it's much more expansive, um, but it is, it's so funny and it, and a lot of it, you know, reads like it could be something you would talk about on stage. So did you think about, you know, this is something that I, I want to save for, for stand up or put in the book or, or how did you think about that? Well, luckily for the readers, there was a global pandemic going on for the majority <laughs> of the time. Yeah. That was fortunate that for all of us. I wrote the book. So all of my comedy ideas were kind of being channeled into the book, which I'm grateful for now because, you know, the book is really funny. Yeah. Do you do you miss the opportunity to go on stage and, and work stuff out? Because when you're writing a book, you don't have that that instant feedback that you're able to get, um, you know, going to clubs and, and trying things. That is such a good point. I'm I'm starting 
a tour right now, a book tour, and I'm going to go to like, uh, you know, six or seven different cities. But my plan is to read from the book as well as doing stand up. So we'll see if, uh, I mean, I feel like it's going to be similar to stand up, but you know, you never know. And I'm, I'm sure like most things people will not laugh when I think they should laugh and laugh at the things I didn't realize were funny. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to share it. And you know, the thing about the book is like, it's not like it, everything is some hard punchline, you know, it, it's, it's definitely more of a comedy book than an advice book, but yeah. Um, I do. I love the the section towards the end, um, where you have the, the back and forth with your husband, uh, Moshe Kasher, um, and you and him have always talked um, a lot about each other on stage, um, done you know shows together, um, and I think you've talked about how he's always been very you know open to say whatever you want about me on stage. I don't I don't mind, um, and maybe vice versa. I never really wanted to get married. I definitely didn't want to get married. I, like I don't want to have a wedding. I don't want to do vows. I just want to do concerns. <laughs> I have a few concerns. Um, first one, how attached are you to this Burning Man tradition? <laughs> Do you guys know what Burning Man is? It's like, it's a great place to go breastfeed your pet ferret. And he really wants me to go. I mean, if I wanted to be a part of a dysfunctional community of white people in the desert, I'd move to Arizona. But how do you navigate that with your daughter? I mean, how do you, because it's, it's a different thing, right? When you're talking about your kid in this book or on stage, um, especially when they're young, how do you think about that? Honestly, it's something I had never thought of. And it's, it sucks because... I'll say something to a friend in front of her, like something she said recently. And she's like, mom, don't tell other people what I say. And you're like, "Uh oh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, hopefully, you know, the book is a lot of her being young. So, you know, like, I don't think she would hate that part of it. But am I going to do a Netflix special where I make fun of her? Probably not, because she'll be able to access it when she's 12 and I don't want her to be mad at me. Yeah. But do you feel like that's limiting as a, as a comedian that you, things, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to talk about if that's, you know, big part of your life? I mean, I guess I'll get a waitressing job. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, it's, that's a, it's a definitely, it's something that has just come to come to my mind because I didn't really think about her caring you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, when they're so little, they, they can't really care about but she anything already like that. Does. Yeah. So imagine yeah. how she'll feel when she's eight or 10. Um, so I guess, yeah, I'm not going to be doing that. I guess I could tour with it and then just not have any, um, proof that it exists. Right. Yeah. Then she'll, have, then she'll never know. She's 12. I, you know, I would have had moved on from that material and, <laughs> uh, then she can't get mad. I don't know what age a kid starts to hate you. 12. 13. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably even sooner now. Everything's happening so fast. She truly seems like she's like getting ready for college and she's four. Yeah. That's, that's very scary for me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, as I mentioned, you include this very honest conversation with, uh, with Moshe in the book about parenting, about 
worrying and I found you know a lot to relate to in that section as well um how did how did that conversation affect your perspective on things like you know your your fear and, and your worry um to, to to have that conversation in such like a, a deliberate way. I mean, I honestly learned a lot from that conversation because, you know, Moshe, like a lot of fathers, uh, you know, I think he kind of like understands, you know, we just have differing roles. And a lot of the things he does that would like really drive me crazy, like, for example, when we first had the kid, he really wanted her to enjoy camping and so he would keep putting the pack in play like closer to the flame so she could enjoy it and I would like keep moving it the other way and he'd keep moving it towards it and he's like why are you so afraid so we're just always going back and forth like that and in the interview I asked him so you know you know so much what do you think the role of mother is and father is and he uh he actually had some really interesting insight that I had never thought of before. One being that like the dad's job, he called it the chief fun officer. So he's like in charge of making sure that she has fun, which I like because I never I only think of myself as like in charge of safety. Yeah, I I thought that I mean that was nice, but on the other hand, is it kind of unfair that that guys get to be the chief fun officer and the mom just has to worry. I mean, of course, but what's not unfair? I mean, about child, yeah. it's all unfair. <laughs> all of it's unfair. But the other thing he said that really helped me is, and this was like one of the last chapters I wrote in the book. So the book actually was almost a ther- therapeutic in a way because I write so much about fear and love. And, you know, no one ever told me that when they, when they said I would be giving birth to the biggest love I would ever you know, I would never know what it's like to love something like this. I didn't know that it also meant I'd be giving birth to like the most insane fear that I've ever had before. And, and just like this crippling fear. And what Moshe said in the interview is that if you're constantly afraid for your child, there's no way, 0% chance that your kid is not going to pick some of that up. And that really made me think about it in a different way because, of course, I don't want to be, you know, um, having the undertones of fear in, in my interactions with her. Uh, now, how how to not have that? Is sometimes you just have to, like, whip your mind a little bit. You know, it's it's definitely challenging. Well, it sounds like the, between the two of you, at least there's a maybe a balance and that it <laughs> he can bring some of the, the chief fund officer to it as well. I hope. I can tell, I can already tell though, that you're like, you take on some of the mother responsibility. <laughs> can you? Am I right? Maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think my wife and I are probably both more on your side. Okay. Yeah. I mean, right. Not everyone has that kind of, I don't, I don't even want to call it balance because that gives it credence <laughs> because there is, that's the problem with having, you know, you get married to someone and you guys share a worldview, most likely, you know, you're both voting for the same people and you know you have like a similar view on on all the really important issues and you know you bo- you both believe in science and then all of a sudden you have this baby and you cannot agree on any of the minutia and the minutia is what is child rearing you know like he thinks she needs to have the sun on her head i think her head needs to be covered and you know, we just go back and forth on all of this stuff. Like how to, what's the best way to put in the car seat? Oh, well, I think it should be in this seat. And is this safe? And, 
You know, it's like every single, even this morning, I wanted her to wear different rain boots than he wanted her to wear. And it's just like, why, <laughs> why do I, you know, it's just every, every turn, there's something to fight about. So, you know, it can be really challenging. Yeah. It's a lot of it is picking your battles too, probably. Exactly. Like yesterday she got dressed herself, but she wore, she had six dresses on and yeah, that's a lot. Put one on after the other. And it didn't look that weird. It looked like maybe more like she had three on. <laughs> but then I was like, I asked her to take some off. She didn't want to. We were late. And then I slowly realized we had like three things to do yesterday. And then like we went to like a farm. And then after the farm, I just took off one of the dresses. Then we went out to lunch and she got food all over the, you know, the one dress and I took it off. So I just started taking off the layers. And, you know, that was not a battle I was going to like uh, try to win. Yeah, exactly. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That's what I mean. It's like no one really knows what they're doing. Like even these moms on Instagram, like they'll have like a three-step process, how to validate your children's feelings and like <laughs> try to like copy it. You know, like even the other day she was crying about something. I was like, Moshe, let's try this Dr. Blank's way of doing this. I thought on Instagram and then we do it. It doesn't work. And then we're back. You know what I mean? It's like, who says this stuff works? It seems like it would work <laughs> in theory. Why not? And also, do we have a generation of kids who have grown up and we know what their personalities are like because we validated their feelings and never told them, you know, be careful or good job or any of the other seemingly innocuous things you're not supposed to tell your kid anymore. And then also they're like, don't, don't tie your children's shoes. Anything they can do themselves, they should be doing themselves. I mean, all of this parenting advice presupposes that you have nothing else to do all day long. But <laughs> right. It's like, I am going to be putting her shoes on for her because I'm in a hurry and I don't want to spend 40 minutes putting her shoes on. And I'm going to be bribing her because that is the only way I can get her in the car with her teeth brushed, you know, it's like, <laughs> so it's, it's just very challenging. And I think as long as you can infuse it with love, uh, I, I'm not too. Yeah. I've definitely been very aware of, uh, telling my daughter, be careful, uh, since reading your book. Have you heard that though, that they say, don't say, be careful? No, I hadn't heard that before. It's so counterintuitive. Just Google it. Just Google on the, just go on, go online and be like 10 worst things to say to your kid. <laughs> that comes up. I mean, some of them are obvious, like don't tell your kid you're going on a diet. Like, uh, obviously, I'm not yeah, doing there's that. There's a lot of body issue things with, yeah. Right, food. those I get. But like, you know, you're not supposed to say good job because then they're only going to do things if they think that they're being good at it. Instead, <laughs> you're supposed to say you worked really hard on that. But then like when your kid colors something and it's terrible and you're like, you worked really hard on that, it almost feels like condescending. Yeah, yeah. I think they can see through that. Exactly. Like, Just tell me I did a good job. Um, so we're, we're speaking of fear and anxiety and all of that. We're talking the day before the midterm election. So that's on my mind. I don't know how you're feeling, but you, you talk a lot about in the book about sort of grappling with bringing children into this world with climate change and fascism and, and everything that's going on. Um, you also rightly predict in the book that Roe v. Wade would be overturned by the time it was published. Um, you have a line in there about that. Oh, because I didn't know because that part was probably written six months yeah. ago. Yeah. Right. Um, Unfortunately, know. I also predicted that Trump would be our president. So. Oh yeah, you're really good at. What do you want to predict now? Do you have any? Do you have any <laughs> <Nothing>. predictions? 
You gotta stop predicting um, things. That my child is going to be uh, funny Greta Thunberg. She's going to be the first climate activist. Uh, yeah, I like that. The science scientist and have a really great sense of humor and just really be able to get everyone on board. Yeah, you you come away with a very hopeful uh, take on all of it. You know, at, well at first you it's kind of concerning because talking about how bringing a child into the world is like the worst thing you can do for climate change and it's worse than all these other things. Well, but, I yeah, don't say that, like, but there are books yeah, yeah. dedicated to that. Right, right. Um, but you kind of come out on the other side that there's, you know, there's a, uh, there's hopeful reasons to have children as well. Yeah. To create your own army. So only the dumb people don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, they have a lot of kids, those people. Exactly. So, you know, it's, 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 I, I just, I didn't find that it was a good enough reason to not have a child because, um, but it's time will tell. Yeah. Um, I was curious, um, talking about the, the Roe v. Wade thing, um, did deciding to have a kid sort of strengthen your defense of those who choose not to? Did it, did it make you think about that issue any differently? I mean, what people choose, this is where I just get very confused. And I think it's because I have a high IQ Um, when people are like, everyone needs to do what I think that's where it it really, I think might must come down to IQ, right? Like, why would I care? I mean, unless people are killing people or harming people, whatever religion you need to be, whatever parenting style you need, I, I, I I just don't really, it's hard for me to understand wanting everyone to do what I do. If you want to get an abortion if you don't want to get an abortion like what does that have to do yeah i mean i've heard women talk about how having a kid really showed them you know shows you how difficult it is to be a mother that really makes you sort of even more understand why someone would choose not to if they didn't if they didn't want to be yes i mean i'm definitely for people choosing what they want to do and i i think it's like it's pretty hard to even understand how people would be trying to stop women from having abortions but then it's not like they're offering any care yeah or money, exactly that's the worst or they, part they give any shit about the kid after the fact like it, it's it's mind-boggling it feels like um it feels like a joke yeah yeah i, I do don't you me- get it do you remember the first uh joke you wrote about abortion about abortion no but i i talk about in the book i mean i don't know i i this might be I feel like people are might not be able to <laughs> to handle this, but I I do remember because I was a child actor and I was always hanging out with older people, like kind of down on their luck actors from Chicago, and you know I was always hanging out with like thirty year olds when I was really young, and I just remember some and I went to a Catholic school and some girl was passing around this like diary entry made by like it, uh, it was supposed to have been written by a fetus and she was like saying day the you know my I could see my fingers and toes forming you know January 16th today my heart started forming blah 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 and then it finally went to you know uh, March 10th today my mother killed me and I remember just and the girl was like crying and passing this around the class and <laughs> I just remember thinking that was funny like I don't I I, I just Maybe because it was like obvious that the fetus would not know that. Yeah. <laughs> about herself. But I just like, I, it never made sense to me that someone would try to stop a woman from doing what she wanted to do with her body. And I, I think I just innately rejected that 
um, from a very young age and never even considered that they had <laughs> any leg to stand on, like in terms of telling people what to do with their bodies. So I, I think, I mean, I'm happy that I, I inherited this spirit, um, but yes, it, it never, never made sense to me. It still doesn't. It still is like extremely confusing to me. I don't understand. Yeah. Well, we're talking in sort of uh, anxiety-fueled ignorance about what's going to happen in the election, but by the time people hear this, uh, we'll know. So I guess, uh, yeah, we don't want to hear your predictions, I guess, because they're going to come true. But do you have any? Uh, do you have any any thoughts about about where we're headed? Try to marry a Canadian. Hmm. That's good advice. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I should have done that. I was. I made a mistake. Hey, it's not too late. You could get into a throuple with a Canadian. That would oh, be a great that's really idea. good advice. That's really good advice. Yeah. We could. I'm going to look, look into that. Website. <laughs> Canadian thruples. You, yeah. that could be a, you could you could start that business. That could be a good one. I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think we just have to have hope. And um, you know, like my husband came home and he was just like super depressed for the past two days. And I was like, "What is your problem?" Like, you know, we have this like amazing angel that we live with who has never heard of Trump, doesn't know what that is. And then I was like, "Oh, he's been on the road for three days in a hotel room in Raleigh." reading Twitter. So, I mean, there, of course you have to like keep up on the news, but like you need to balance it. And if your life is filled with some other joy, I mean, what can you do except try to appreciate that, especially when they're young kids and, and try to just be present for them and be the best version of everything. Like even last night, I was, I'm always trying to get to like throwback experiences with my kid. Like what would it have been like 10 years ago, 20 years ago? So I, I hate to just be like watching a movie with her and staring at my phone, you know, that, what is that? Like, aren't kids going to grow up and be like, yeah, my mom, she was just always looking at her phone. I know. I mean, I, I'm, like, I'm worried about that as well. So I, I try whenever I can to just, by the way, I'm guilty of this constantly, but you know, yeah, they're, we all are, they go to bed at eight, you know, so <laughs> exactly. like the time that, and they get home from school at four. So in those time, time periods of just trying to be present, not trying to stress too much about everything. I mean, what, what can you do really? Well, I am so glad that you uh, came back on the show, and I really did love your book, um, and I just found so much to relate to in it and, and thought it was so funny. So uh, congrats on that, and I hope everyone checks it out. Oh, that's so nice to hear, and thanks, Matt. Okay, thanks for listening to this bonus episode, and thanks again to Natasha Legero for coming back on the podcast. Her new book, The World Deserves My Children, is available for pre-order now and officially goes on sale next Tuesday, November 15th. We'll include a link to purchase it in the description for this episode as well. It is well worth your time, I promise. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram 
where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.